Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in praise and worship today. Always need those reminders through the songs, the songs that we're singing. Um, even if they may be a little unfamiliar to you, what we're singing is we're, we're, we're singing prayer-based, scripture-led, worship-fed songs. And so we pray that they would be helpful for our hearts today in our prayer life. Um, I want to go ahead and welcome everybody back to church today. Some of you maybe made it back today because you came last week on Easter Sunday. We actually had over 500 people join us for Easter Sunday. It was a powerful weekend with one another here in the Lord, and so I'm so glad you made it back. And uh, it's powerful to come back for this next week. And I want to talk about why this day is special There's a variety of reasons why it's important that we celebrate and honor and just bring some new attention to what we're calling Ascension Sunday. Ascension Sunday is not really a term that I have been too familiar with up until this point, but as I've been studying the Gospels and reading in the book of Acts, I realized, you know what, hold hold up, this story is not complete, that there's a underestimated, underpreached topic that doesn't always get the attention it deserves, and that's Ascension Sunday. So we're going to go ahead and launch into Ascension Sunday. I had our media team work up an Ascension Sunday graphic. We don't want to end the series yet. He got up because he got up, goes a step further, right? He got up from the grave, and then he goes and does something very powerful. When you think about the, what I want to call the gospel obstacle course, all right? Has anybody ever seen like an American Ninja Warrior episode? Pastor Dean knows what I'm talking about, right? Pastor Mike, where they start at the the little start and they blow the whistle, then you got to like go underneath something and then climb something and then catch a rope and then crawl up some slippery, watery ramp. And it's one of those crazy things. The gospel in its fullness is a lot like that. For example, In order for you to be saved, it costs Jesus everything. Amen? So here's the mission Jesus had to go on. Some would think it was mission impossible, but Jesus is a better Tom Cruise. Amen? Right? He he certainly is a better Tom Cruise. Right? This mission impossible looked like this. Okay. Play number one, Jesus, you are going to have to live out the prophetic fulfillment of Isaiah 7, verse 14, which says that there will be a virgin who will give birth to a Messiah, and the government will be on his shoulders, and they will call him Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. That happens first, and that's going to be scary, dangerous for everybody involved. It's going to get wild on Christmas Day. It's going to bother King Herod. It's going to mess up everybody in the land, and it's going to be a lot of blood, and you're going to have to get born in a manger, not in like a beautiful hospital. Jesus goes, all right, I got that. And praise God, right? Jesus is born. Praise God. Merry Christmas. Amen. We can talk about the birth of Christ every time because it's a powerful testimony of Mary and Joseph and their purity and Jesus doing a miraculous work through this angel. And then all of a sudden we find baby Jesus born and he's so beautiful, isn't he? But baby Jesus doesn't stay baby Jesus. Amen. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Bless this sermon. Right. 
baby Jesus grows. At 12 years old, we find him in the temple teaching the rabbis, showing off his gifting, showing off that he actually wrote the Bible, showing off that he is who he says he is. As he grows older in wisdom and stature, we find him at age 30, begin to kick off his public ministry. The second thing and third thing he has to do is he has to live the life that you and I couldn't live. It's called a sinless life. Jesus never sinned. He is the spotless lamb. He is perfection in all his ways. 2 Corinthians 5.21, a verse that we love much here at Walk Church, says, though he knew no sin, he became sin. Whose sin? Our sin. He became our sin. The only sin Jesus ever knew was ours, so that we would become the righteousness of God through him. He was sinless in all of his ways. So he had to live the perfect life. He would be tempted by all sin, but would never sin, says Hebrews 4.15. But then not only that, he would need to live out the prophecy of Zechariah, the next obstacle course, to enter into Jerusalem on a donkey, pronouncing peace, living out the Zechariah 9 prophetic fulfillment of the Messiah who would ride in, strolling on a donkey, declaring peace, but yet being king. Jesus did that on the first ever Palm Sunday, amen? But this king would not just stay on the donkey, he would then go up on the cross and be crucified for our sin. He would then shed his blood, the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, where it says this suffering servant would come and bear the iniquity of us all. And then he would get put into a grave. He would die on this cross and be buried into a tomb, and they would roll this stone, this heavy stone in front of this tomb, and they would put really strong Roman soldiers in front of the tomb so that nobody would mess with it. But when God wants to accomplish something, he just does what he wants to do, amen? Like the strongest Roman soldiers get paralyzed when they see a heavenly angel. It didn't take long. Right, and then Jesus resurrects from the grave. Happy Easter. We talked about it last week. We talked about the resurrection of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and how he rises and defeats death. He defeats hell. He defeats Satan. He defeats sin on our behalf. He rises triumphantly from the grave, and he says, I've done that. Believe on me. Believe in me, and you shall be saved. And what so often happens, at least in my Christian journey, is we go, He completed the obstacle course, amen? But the reality is there's one more step until the course is completed, that the gospel narrative, the completion of this journey is not fulfilled until we find Jesus do what he does in Acts chapter 1, amen? So I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1 as we look at this final step in this gospel obstacle course. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. eat. Father, as we get ready to eat from your word now, Lord, I pray you would speak to us, teach us, and God, may we leave here with some handlebars. God, we we, want to get better today. So turn, turn around, whatever you need to turn around. Holy Spirit, heal things in our hearts. Teach us your word today. Disciple us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We'll read all the way to verse 11. Here we go. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus 
began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive. Everybody say alive. alive. To them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Come on, somebody say power. power. One more time, power. power. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the ascension that we're speaking about, that we're talking about, that we're learning about. That really the final step in this gospel obstacle course is Jesus has to ascend into heaven. I mean, friends, check this out. If Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the grave and never ascends into heaven, where is he today? If Jesus never ascends into heaven gloriously, where is he buried? At some point, is he just still living, walking around? Well, of course he's still living, but he's living in heaven, and his spirit is now living on earth, and the Father is now living, and all three are at work at the same time doing what they do as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit do as a team in unity. But we see the ascended Christ do some powerful things in this text. And I want to talk to you today just about what the ascension should do for us. I believe there's four things in this text, and I was debating about doing six or eight because there's so much in there, but I'm just going to pick four. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say thank you, Pastor. <laughs> right, I'm just going to do four, all right, of what the ascension reminds us of, and I pray that these four would be helpful. The first thing that the ascension reminds us of, the, the ascension reminds us of the prophecy that has been fulfilled. I want to continue to remind you that you have a whole left side of your Bible that's very important. It's not just important, it's essential. The Old Testament is crucial to your Christianity. The Old Testament is necessary for your growth. I love what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says all Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament is inspired by God and is good for us. That we should have the same appetite that we have for the New Testament as we do for the Old Testament. That we should not be on either side leaning because they both are red letter. Jesus has inspired, Jesus appears in the Old Testament so much. Did you know that? All over the place. Like, for example, when Jacob wrestles 
with whom he says, I saw the Lord in Genesis chapter 33. Who do you think he was wrestling with? I think that was a quick moment where Jesus came incarnation and did a quick wrestling match with Jacob and touched his hip. Who touched his hip socket? I think that was Jesus. When Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire, and all of a sudden King Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fiery furnace, he said, there's somebody else in there dancing with them. Who do you think he was talking about? Who just randomly appeared into the fire with them? He said he looks kind of like the, he has like a face that would kind of look like the Son of God. That was Jesus. As Joshua was getting ready to cross over the sea and lead the people, suddenly he was stopped in his tracks and he saw somebody who was glowing and dazzling. See, he looked like the Lord. Who do you think he saw? The incarnate Jesus has always been and always will be. And he says, I'll just step in and step down and shake things up at any moment, just like you'll see selections of the Holy Spirit do things in the Old Testament whenever he wants. The Trinity has always been at work. And the Old Testament is vital for our walk because we'll never understand the ascension like God wants us to understand the ascension until we understand the prophecies that, that went into the ascension. What prophecies are you talking about? Let's go ahead and look at one out of Daniel chapter 7. The book of Daniel is very fascinating because you see this man of God named Daniel who was a prophet, who was a man of God, who was exiled from his hometown in Jerusalem, found himself in Babylon and treated differently. In fact, Daniel wasn't even his Hebrew name. That was a name that was given to him. We just know him by that name. But Daniel had this character and integrity about him. There's actually not a moment in the book of Daniel where you can find something he did wrong. Was he sinful? Absolutely. But we know him for his faith. In Daniel chapter 7, he begins to share prophetically what he would see the Messiah doing. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. People that would study the Old Testament in the Torah, right, in the Pentateuch, people that would give their lives, they're waiting for this to happen. Y'all hear me? Our westernized minds in America, we don't really know the Daniel 7 prophetic word too much because we're not in there enough. So if this feels like a little bit of a rebuke and challenge, receive it, amen? It's kind of how we do at Walk Church. We're open to the challenge. We're open to getting better, right? This Messiah who Daniel prophesied about, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. In other words, one day there would be these, the, 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 this cloud, this glorious cloud, and this cloud would be occupied by this son of man. One of Jesus' nicknames that he's given himself is the son of man. Jesus steps on the scene and says, behold, the son of man is here. The Son of Man would occupy this cloud, and he came to the ancient days, was presented him. In other words, this king named Jesus would one day rise into glorious heaven on this cloud. And I wonder if it was kind of like an elevator, and all of heaven looked. Who would be coming out of this elevator? This is an elevator that nobody uses. 
We have been waiting for this elevator to be used for all eternity. It says it's moving in this cloud coming right out of Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Ding! And Jesus, in his resurrection splendor, steps out of the elevator, come on, right off the cloud with his resurrection and says, the gospel obstacle has been completed. Amen? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a visual learner. What a moment that had to have been for eternity. For all the people who had died in the past, for all the angelic angels that are surrounding heaven, for God the Father and God the Spirit to be in that moment like, whoa, he did that. He really did that. The devil tried to stop him all his life. The devil tried to stop him at his birth. He tried to stop him in Egypt. He tried to stop him in Galilee. He tried to stop him in Nazareth. He tried to stop him in Jerusalem. But Jesus couldn't be stopped. And to him was given dominion because he did that. Amen? To him was given glory. To, get, to him was given a kingdom, a heavenly kingdom that all peoples, everybody say all peoples. All peoples. Come on, say all peoples. Come on, that means all colors, all nationalities, all genders, right? All two, right? All, all, all people. All people, right? All people, all nations, all languages. I love that right there. The word ethnos. I love that Greek word ethnos that describes the people that will be in heaven. It, the word ethnos accompanies geography, nationality, ethnicity, culture. How about Jesus' every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be in heaven surrounding the King of glory. All peoples, nations, languages should serve him, his dominion and his everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. Because, right, we find a, a, a king named Jesus who's, who's coming to make a way in eternity. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus once time told the disciples, he said, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Amen. Jesus steps in on the Ascension Sunday, right? The resurrection isn't the final chapter. This next chapter is the ascension of the King of Kings, where he made known what he did. I wonder if all the angels were like, we can't wait to see him, we can't wait to see him. He did that. One of my other favorite prophetic words that the ascension fulfills is the prophetic word from David in Psalm 24. Turn with me to Psalm 24. Let's look at verse 7. If you're there, say, I'm there. Psalm 24, David is writing. This is 500 years before baby Jesus would ever be birthed into a manger. Before that, David writes and he says, lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O oh, ancient doors, right? Nobody's used this elevator. Nobody steps through this door. That the king of glory may come in. 
somebody in the background says, who is this king of glory? That's how I envision it. Somebody says back, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle, amen? He's been doing battle, amen? Right? He's been doing battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift up, lift up them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. Amen? I love this right here. This, this prophetic word is talking about when Jesus would ascend into heaven. Right, as Jesus gets ready to enter into the heavenly place that he departed from to come save us on this mission, this can't be some average welcoming. This has to be the welcoming of, this was the welcome he deserved on Palm Sunday. But instead they said crucify. Heaven says, no, gates, lift your heads. Get, get ready so that the king of glory might come in. Who is this king of glory? He's the Lord. He's strong and mighty. He's the Lord in battle. For so long, people weren't, uh, they didn't understand. Who, what are these verses talking about? But when Jesus ascends, he makes it known what he's come to do. He fulfills these prophetic words. There are times throughout the Gospels where Jesus says, I know you love Abraham, but before Abraham, I am. Right? He go, Jesus would say, I know you love Moses, but we created Moses. I'm the Lord of Moses. Moses is well remembered. I'm reading through Exodus right now, so it's fresh on my heart. But Moses would go up and he would minister to the Lord. And you know where the Lord would be? In a cloud. He would be in the cloud. He would present himself through this cloud. The, the Hebrew calls it this cloud of glory. This Shekinah glory is the actual word. The cloud. Don't just think that it's just random language in the ascension for Jesus to enter up in a cloud. Y'all hear what I'm saying? He's fulfilling all the prophetic words. Do you know where Jesus ascends from? He ascends from the mountain where men of God of, of old would ascend and would go to talk with God. This was the mountain believed to be where Abraham would take Isaac. Jesus leads his disciples. They don't know. They don't know that they're actually standing on the same spot. Everything's intentional with Christ. And all of a sudden, they're listening to him. They've been hanging out with Jesus for 40 days, thinking, man, this must be what it's like. He actually died. He rose. He kicked it with us for 40 days. He ate with us. He unpacked the kingdom of God for us. And now this moment where he ascends into heaven. Let me give you the second reminder. The ascension reminds us that the Holy Spirit has checked into the game publicly and powerfully. Amen? I love that right there. I love this point. The essential reminds us that the Holy Spirit has checked into the game publicly and powerfully. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8 with me. Acts 1, 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
Jesus was letting them know, one of these days, you're going to be empowered to do things you couldn't do before. You were going to be filled and empowered with dynamite, dunamis, power. That's the word power. It's the Greek word dunamis. You'll be filled with dunamis. He's going to come upon you. Now at this point, we see selections of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, don't we? We see the Holy Spirit on display. Come on, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Say, in the beginning, there was the depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering. Oh, the Holy Spirit has always been, amen? The Holy Spirit started to create. But we see the Spirit selectively doing work. At this point, He hasn't filled all believers. We do see the Holy Spirit moving. In fact, David prays a powerful prayer out of Psalm 51. David falls into sexual sin with Bathsheba. He comes under conviction a year later because he was so prideful. And then he gets his journal out and writes a psalm. Psalm 51, and here's what he says. Lord, whatever you do, don't take your spirit from me. I love that prayer. David's like, yo, you can take my mansion. You can take my chariot. You can take my status. You can take my kingship. But God, whatever you do, just don't take your Holy Spirit from me because without your spirit, I got nothing. He goes, all those other things, I could get all those other things back or not. But your spirit is everything. I need your spirit, God. Renew your spirit in me. Jesus says, well, this is about to happen. He says, I'm about to send you my spirit. And he's going to empower you and come upon you. The Holy Spirit checks into the game publicly and powerfully. The gospel obstacle course is one thing I've been talking about, right? And I, and I can just imagine, this is how I imagine the scriptures, okay? If I, get it, if I get it wrong, you can email me, okay? And I'm just gonna forward it to Pastor Mike and he's gonna email you back, amen? Praise the Lord, right? This is how I envision it. I envision Jesus on that elevator Who is this king? Who is this king of glory stepping into heaven? Nobody's ever ascended on this elevator on his own accord. Nail-pierced hands, resurrected body, King Jesus appears. And you know what I think he did? I think he went over to the Holy Spirit and he said, you're in. I think he said, Holy Spirit, you're up. I wonder if the Holy Spirit was... I've been waiting for my role. Tag me in. Jesus, you got to complete this thing so I can go do my work. Like the Holy Spirit had always been available, no doubt. Holy Spirit does work. The Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Old Testament, you see Jesus. They're, they're working, but this is the public check into the game moment. Amen? The Holy Spirit's like, yo, I'm waiting to come with some explosive power. That that same power that rose Jesus from the grave, I want to send to earth now. And Jesus resurrects from the grave and then he ascends into heaven gloriously. And he checks the Holy Spirit into the game publicly and powerfully. 
not long after this ascension, you find the disciples in the upper room praying because praying is talking to God and the Holy Spirit loves prayer meetings. And what happens in that prayer meeting in Acts chapter 2, right? The Holy Spirit enters into the room and the room is shaken and the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit empowered to go do mighty works. They even spoke in different languages. In the, the Bible, Acts chapter 2 even lists the languages. Jerusalem was a global city. You got people all throughout the globe in Jerusalem doing trades and bringing different religions in and meeting with people and talking with people and all types of different celebrations and festivals and feasts. How are these Israelites who speak Hebrew and fishermen going to minister this good news gospel to all the different languages? The Holy Spirit says, let me do that. I'm going to go ahead and give you even a sign gift. I'm going to give you a new tongue. They're like, what? All of a sudden, their tongue just started to spit the gospel in different languages. Some of y'all are like, what are you talking about? you got to read Acts 2. Take some time this afternoon. Just read through it slowly. The Holy Spirit began to, began to touch their hands. They began to, Peter steps in Acts chapter 3, and this poor beggar says, Hey, psst, do you have any money? Peter says, Silver and gold, I have not. But in the name of Jesus, let me try, I'm going to try it. Get up! And he got up! And he started jumping, and Peter said, I'm filled! I'm filled with the Spirit! And, and friends, somewhere along the journey, we have forgot about the resurrection power that we possess in the name of Jesus. We, we trust God for whatever script He wants to write, He can write. He gets the glory. He's the sovereign King. But He does say ask. He does say walk. He does say lean in. He does say pray. He does say Holy Spirit will help you, comfort you, guide you, direct you, teach you, bring all things to remembrance that Jesus taught you. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the evidence whether one, a person is really saved or not. Like you could say, I, I prayed a prayer when I was 12, or I got baptized when I was 10, but the question is, do you have the Holy Spirit or not? The Spirit of God is the evidence whether somebody's born again. There was once a guy named Nicodemus of the religious elite. He pulled Jesus aside at night because he didn't want to be seen. And he said, hey, Jesus, how do I get born again? What a great question, amen? And Jesus says, you got to be born of the Spirit. You need a new spirit. You got an old lowercase s spirit. It's a sinful spirit. It's a dead spirit. It's a temporary spirit. You need a new spirit. One of the reasons why I love Ezekiel chapter 36, because Ezekiel 36 talks about the Holy Spirit who would one day come and he would give people a new heart, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh, a heart that beats. And this new spirit will cause you to walk in him. Let's just put that second point on the screen. I want us to see it. 
The ascension reminds us that the Holy Spirit has checked into the game. Publicly and powerfully. I want to say something real quick, and then we'll move on. Maybe. Let me see everybody's eyes. If your Christianity is void of the Holy Spirit, it's not Christianity. It's something different. It's weird. It's powerless. I'm sorry. Let me tell you what it is. It's religion. It's religion. You don't need religion. Religion is do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, check boxes. If you ever hear somebody say, I'm not really religious, just say, man, me neither. I'm not interested in religion. Religion's never saved anybody. The Pharisees were the most religious people in the land. I know some religious people. Religious people tend to have a critical spirit, not the Holy Spirit. There might be some religious people in here right now. You're just sitting here analyzing. You're not hearing anything I'm saying. You're just trying to find something to, 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 that, that's wrong. You're, look, you're like, how come that chair is like, what, you know, how come, you know, why, is the, why does the backdrop have to be so bright? Like, you're like missing the whole sermon. Why do they got to have a TV on the screen? So you can read it. Stop being so religious. My bad. I'm a... Holy Spirit, help. Holy Spirit's like, calm down. Right? I know you're talking about me, but let me, let me defend myself, all right? Come on. The Holy Spirit, like if your Christianity is void of the Holy Spirit, you have not experienced the ascension. Like I'm glad that you have a Jesus who forgave you and died for you. I'm glad you have a Jesus that rose for you. But do you need that power today? Yes. If today you're saying, man, I got that one sin that I just can't defeat, it's because you haven't experienced the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will defeat that sin in you. The Holy, check out the name, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to make you more holy. You'll be like, man, I'm not doing the same things I used to do. I'm not feeling the same way I used to feel. Yeah, because you encountered the Holy Spirit. And now he's making, he's producing holiness in your heart. Amen? Publicly and powerfully. I'm talking about God. I know the Holy Spirit is giving you words. Where's my brother Vashon at? Is Vashon around here somebody, somewhere? He's over here, right? Uh, he was sharing with us how the Holy Spirit put it on his heart at, at a stoplight to roll down his window at the stoplight and invite a lady to church. And she came, amen? <laughs> Praise God. But you got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to think, I'm going to do that? You sure you want me to? What if the, well, well, the light might turn green? Just do it. Maybe the Holy Spirit just wanted to see if you'd do it. Even if it turns green, you would have done it. I got to move. Let me go ahead and move into the third point. The ascension reminds us that the baton has been passed to the church. Amen, Jeremiah, right? The, 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 the ascension reminds us that the baton has now been placed in your hands. This is a, a powerful point right here. Let me, let me read Acts 1.8, the second half. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Man, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do something. What's the something you're called to do? You're called to witness, to be a witness, to be somebody who can testify to the work that God has done in you and through you. One of the reasons why we love baptism here at Walk Church, and next week we're going to be doing two baptisms. I just heard that. I'm excited about those. Powerful. Pastor Mike was just sharing with me just the power of this, the witness. The witness. What, what's going on in your heart? I just need to witness that Jesus saved me, changed me, raised me, filled me, transformed me, and I'm going in the baptism waters to de declare it, to proclaim it. The old is gone. The new has come. The baton has been passed to me. I'm now on mission. I love how Oswald Chambers says it in utmost for his highest. He says, at his ascension, our Lord entered heaven, and he keeps the door open for humanity to enter. I love that. Praise God. Amen. Right? At the ascension, our Lord entered heaven. Hallelujah. The king of glory has come in, and he keeps the door open. Only Christ has the ability to keep that door open. Amen? Come on, Troy. Right? Only Jesus can keep the door. Hold up, door. Like, it's one of those doors that's now one of those, like, electronic joints. Like, oh, wow, it's open. Come on in. Because of Christ, you can come in. The veil has been torn. Amen, Elsa, right? God is saying, come in. Through Christ, you can come in. How are people going to enter in? We're going to escort them in. The baton has been passed into your hand. Has not Jesus done all that he needs to do? Has Jesus not fulfilled his race? Has Jesus not held the baton through the virgin birth, through the life, through the death, through the resurrection, through the ascension? Now he says, yo, it's your turn. I mean, real talk. Look at, look at Acts chapter 1 again with me. I want to show you these verses. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Acts 1, verse 9. It says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud, right? The Shekinah glory came. The cloud took him out of their sight. All the other moments where Jesus had, in, in a way, vanished, in moments Jesus would go in different places and vanish. He could do that. He could do whatever he wants. But this time, this was a cloud that took him. It was very intentional. And while they were gazing into heaven... Like, like, what just happened? Gone. Love what happens next. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. So they're like, who are you? <laughs> who are you? And here's what they said. Men of Galilee, what are y'all doing? Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's why the ascension's important. 
because they said, look, look, he had to go into heaven. He's going to come back down from heaven one day. That glorious day, we're still waiting for that day. But in the meantime, he's saying, what are you waiting for? Don't you have a mission? Don't you have a co-mission? What's that mission? Friend, that mission is to invite every person, every lost person, every person who's religious, every person far from God, every nationality, every nation, every tribe and tongue, to invite them into that love relationship with Jesus that you experienced when you got saved. And if you're not saved here today, friend, today's the day of salvation. Stop waiting. Stop fighting. Stop wrestling with God. Surrender yourself to God. Give up and say, God is God, and I love him, and he, he loves me, and I need him. He doesn't need me, but he invites me. And I want to be filled with that power. And today you can do that, and he's going to give you a baton, and he's going to say, check in. Check into the game, amen? Check in and, and be, play a part. Don't just sit on the bench, amen? Do we got any athletes in the room? Don't sit on the bench. Be a star player in the kingdom of God. Be a contributor. Right? Be a giver. Be a bringer. Be, re be, be ready. Tapping into my coach vibes. All right, let's go to the last point. There's so much we could talk about that last point. Man, the ascension reminds us that Christ is interceding for us today. Amen? Final point that I want to just anchor in on, and worship team can come back up, and we'll go ahead and close. But, friend, I want to remind you today that if Jesus doesn't ascend into heaven, then we don't have a Savior interceding for us today. Right? And we need him to, don't we? I love how Hebrews 12, 2 says it. It says, looking to Jesus. Friend, we got to look to him. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Despising the shame. Sometimes you're going to have to be like King Jesus. You might feel shame for your stance. Despise the shame. And is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down on the throne at the right hand of God. He completed the task. And now at the right hand of the throne of God, I believe King Jesus is interceding for the saints. All around the world, Jesus is interceding. Lawyer Jesus, remember? He's pleading our case before God the Father. There's a song that says, God the Father has this righteous indignation toward us because we're so sinful. And Jesus is interceding for us in ways that we have no idea to even comprehend. Hebrews 7, verse 25 just read this off the screen with me. Ready? One, two, three. Therefore, 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 he is also able to save forever those who come to God through him. Since he always lives 
to make intercession for them. I love that verse right there. Jesus is able to save anyone forever. Here's why. Because he lives. Amen? He lives to make intercession for us, to intercede on our behalf, to step in and say, hold up, call a timeout. I'm interceding for Andy. Come on, I'm interceding for Bob and Lois. I know that the devil wanted you, Manu, but I'm interceding for you, amen? I'm interceding for you, Jeanette. I'm interceding for you, Nate. I'm interceding for you, Baltazar. Come on, I'm interceding for you. I'm, I'm living to make intercession for you, Ryan. It's what Jesus does for us. Come on. If you're online, G Jesus intercedes for us. That's why the ascension matters. Because now Jesus is at the right hand petitioning on our behalf. Like only he could do. Tony Morita says, the whole site is one of magnificent glory. This glorious exaltation demonstrated Jesus' promotion from earth to heaven. An exaltation demonstrated Jesus' promotion from earth to heaven. And I prefigured the manner of his return visible, glorious, climatic. He goes on to say, our response to the ascended king should mirror theirs. We should joyfully worship and obey him. Amen? That we should joyfully respond to this ascender with worship. Wow, King Jesus did that. And obedience, whatever he wants me to do, I'll do. Yeah. Kent Hughes says, having ascended, he now intercedes for the church and has sent the Holy Spirit another helper just like himself so we can be his witnesses. That's my prayer for us to experience the Holy Spirit and to be witnesses of his gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you for the ascension. The ascension demands worship. The, the ascension demands obedience. The ascension demands that we follow you, Lord. God, we love you. We need you. We trust you. Jesus. God, I pray in Jesus' name right now that, God, if somebody needs to be saved, that today they would get saved. That if, if today somebody needs to fall on their face and call out to King Jesus, they'd do it. Come on, right now, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, just say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, change me. I'm ready. Save me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Empower me, Jesus. I turn away from my sins. I turn directly to Christ. Fill me with your Spirit. Give me the baton, Lord. Place me in the game. I'm ready to make moves. I'm ready to be used. From the oldest to the youngest, don't retire from kingdom work. 
be ready. God, make me ready. Come on, open, lift your hands right now. Just lift your, God, make these hands ready. The ascension demands it. Thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling the prophecies. Thank you for filling us with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us the baton. And thank you for interceding on our behalf. We love you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.